The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. Do you want to live forever? If you do, you're not alone. And I got to tell you, all the technology that we're using is paying for the people who are trying to fix it. All those technology company founders, people founded things like Facebook or Oracle or Google, they are pursuing the idea of human longevity, about taking human life and making it last as long as possible, even maybe indefinitely. Ray Kurzweil is an inventor, a great inventor of our time. Some people call him the heir of Thomas Edison. Um, but right now, I read an article by Ray Kurzweil, who now calls himself a futurist. I wanted to learn how you get to do that, because I'd like to be called a futurist. Like, maybe you can just determine that one day that I'm going to tell you what the future looks like. And here's what Ray Kurzweil says. He says the future has to deal with dealing with this problem of dying, because uh, he calls death the robber of our hopes and our dreams. Nothing can, can change what you've hoped and planned for, like, like dying. Well, but Ray Kurzweil, the futurist, he's, he's of the firm belief that our species is soon going to be able to defeat dying and degeneration and live indefinitely. Do you want to live forever? If you do, you're not alone. Right now in Russia, there's a 30-something-year-old billionaire who thinks he's going to solve the problem. Uh, Dmitry Itzkov made his fortune in media in Russia, but now he's trying to find a way to spend it, and his plan is to achieve immortality by the year 2045. Here's how he's going to do it. He's going to create avatars that you can upload your brain into so your personality can live on in this avatar. Now... I personally think he's off his rocker. I think this is what happens when a 35-year-old has a few billion dollars and too much time on his hands, but, but don't you think perhaps he's trying to do something that a lot of people find, well, if not fascinating, maybe something that, that deep down they really want too. I mean, personally, if you look at your life, and look at your hopes and dreams, do you ever find yourself, well, maybe not thinking you're going to be able to upload your brain to an avatar in 2045, but, but chasing after those things that you think will extend your life? I mean, if we think that finding the right health care plan is going to be the secret to living into a healthy, long, old age, or if we find ourselves hoping for things like cures to cancer, or stem cell technology that can make me have a body like I was 21 again, or anti-aging skincare products so I don't look like I've had a few years underneath the belt. What are any of those things except trying to put off what is really inevitable? Because you see, the one thing that every human being does is, is die. And death is as inevitable for us as anything in our existence. We might try to do all sorts of things that keep death away, but you know, death comes for all people, some earlier, some later. But yet, knowing its inevitability, 
Does that change our emotions toward it? In uh, 1757, there was one of the first wars that involved nations from all around the globe. And in this great war, uh, the Empire of Prussia was led by a man called Frederick the Great. Now, Frederick the Great had never lost a battle in the field. But this day, near Prague, he was. Not only had he last lost the battle, he could tell that he was in danger of losing his entire army. And so he turned to his elite guard that he kept in reserve, and he ordered them into the fray to attack so that they could cover the retreat to save the rest of the army. And the elite guard hesitated. They, they didn't charge into certain death. And Frederick the Great looked at them, and he spoke some of his famous words, some of his most famous words. He said, you rascals, do you want to live forever? His point is, death's coming for everybody, some sooner, some later. You're going to die eventually, so die for me today. Make it glorious. Would you have answered his call? I mean, the inevitability of dying for every human doesn't change this, this crazy longing we have to live and to live and not grow old and not die. That's just what we want. And when we hear Frederick Great shout that question to us in our heart of hearts, we say, yes, I, I do kind of want to live forever. Why is that? Well, the reason behind, the reason for it and the idea behind it, I think you can see that one, one more tech mogul example, a guy by the name of Larry Ellison, he founded Oracle, again, one of the most wealthy men in the world. Again, someone who since 97 has donated half a billion dollars towards anti-aging initiatives. In other words, trying to live forever. And I think he gets at the emotion of it when he wrote this. He said, death has never made any sense to me. How can a person be there and then just vanish? Just not be there? I mean, there's a part of us that absolutely agrees with that. That life should not just be transitory. Right? There's a part of us that even wants to join with the atheist poet Dylan Thomas and rage, rage against the dying of the light. Mankind does not want to die, and there's good reason for that. Because you were never created to do it. Okay, mankind was never created to die. God created man and woman to live and to live and to, to never get old, to never die. Dying, in fact, if you think about it, dying is the most unnatural thing a human can do because we weren't designed for it. It's not what we were built for. Dying is not another natural part of the circle of life. doesn't matter how many after-school specials you watch that tell you that. It's just not true. That crazy feeling you have that you should live and live and live, that's truer than what they're trying to tell you on television because God never created you to die, but to live and to live. What this is, this, this death that we have to deal with, it's an aberration. I mean, Adam and Eve, our parents, they... They were there and they had a choice, but they chose evil over good. They chose self over service and they chose Satan over God. And the warning that God had issued about that choice was, you will surely die. But they ate that fruit forbidden to them and they, 
They in that act made holiness and righteousness and life vanish from this world and in its place into the vacuum left behind rushed death. When Adam and Eve found out as this was a Pandora's box that once it was opened it could not be shut again, suddenly dying was the most inevitable thing for every person who ever lived. Suddenly that most unnatural event for humankind became the most common act of man. So that's the point of all those genealogy lists in the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever decided, like, on a, you know, start a new year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through the Bible this year, and you start in the book of Genesis, and you get to, oh, about chapter 5, and you get to the, our facts had lived 128 years, and he had so many children, and then he died. And then so-and-so had so many children, and he lived, far, and then he died. And, you, and then you end up stopping your read through the Bible in a year on about day 4. Right? <laughs> ever, ever been there? But the point of those things, the po- there's a reason that they're there. Because the most unnatural thing had become the most common thing of mankind. Every generation ended with, and he died. And he died. And he died. And it rings like a death knell through the Old Testament. The fact that Adam and Eve had brought death into the world, and now death was inevitable for all people. What if, what if someone could break that chain of, and he died, and he died? What if someone could do the impossible thing that our bodies, our hearts want so much, which is to live and to never die? So Jesus had created quite a stir by the shores of the Sea of Galilee. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been hearing about his ministry there, about how thousands of people had streamed out to listen to him. Thousands of people were there when he, cre- did, when he performed this miracle that was astounding, where he fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish, and the people were just were shell-shocked by what they had witnessed. It reminded everybody of, of Moses back in the Old Testament when, when God's people were without food and God used Moses to rain down manna from heaven. They had bread from God. But then, you know, uh, Jesus said something. He said this. I am the bread of life. I came down from heaven to do the work of my Father. That's when the crowd changed. They went from uh, being in awe of Jesus to being offended by Jesus. Offended? Why, Why were they offended? Well, did you hear what he said? He said, I came down from heaven. I'm, I'm God the Father's son. And now remember where he was here. They were around the Sea of Galilee. This is the neighborhood where Jesus grew up. These were the people who knew his mom, knew his stepdad. Maybe some of them watched him grow up in Nazareth. Now he says, what? You've come down from heaven? They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? I don't know if I can really blame them for grumbling about that. I mean, think about it. They, they knew this person, but he was claiming something about himself that was far different from what they could see or from what they knew. This Jesus who looks just like one of us and came from our neighborhood now says he's divine? 
Completely unreasonable, isn't it? Who in their right man mind would look at this man and believe that he came down from heaven? And God, why do you ask me to believe something like that anyway? It doesn't make any sense. You've given me a brain. I've got eyes. And two plus two, it just never equals six, Lord. So don't ask me to believe something unreasonable. You know, sometimes we Christians can feel that way, too, about some things that God asks us to believe. Maybe there's some part of God's word that you, you struggle with, and you say, this doesn't make any sense to me. This doesn't make any sense to the way I look at the world. I mean, maybe it's, is it reasonable that Jesus says that in the sacrament he gives us his body and blood to eat and drink along with the bread and the wine? Is it reasonable that God says that, that in that book, we don't have the words of men, but people that were carried along by the Holy Spirit, so what we have in the Bible is the Word of God. Is that reasonable? Is it reasonable that God created this world in six days? You know, sometimes Jesus asks us to believe a lot. Maybe believe in things we can't even begin to understand. It doesn't seem very reasonable. But, you know, isn't it possible to be completely reasonable, be completely reasonable, but still be dead wrong? Right? Isn't that true? You can be completely reasonable, but still be dead wrong because there's something bigger than what you can currently understand going on. You know, like, uh, you know, centuries ago in certain parts of the world, they were reasonable people who believed this world was flat. Disc, right? Fall off the edge. Reasonable people. You could cut conduct experiments to show that this world was flat. You learned about it in school. Everyone told you the world was flat. Your parents told you about it when you were young. Everyone you knew who was reasonable believed that the world was flat. Perfectly reasonable, absolutely dead wrong. I mean, but can you try to imagine convincing someone whose entire culture believed the world was flat, whose entire educational career told them the world was flat, who can look around and go, well, it looks flat, Try to tell them that no, 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 it's not flat. You're, you're on a sphere. And this sphere, you know, it feels like you're not going anywhere, but you're actually moving a thousand miles an hour right now, spinning through space. Unbelievable, but absolutely true. Sometimes there's a reality that we don't begin to understand that is absolutely true. Jesus said, I've come down from heaven. And they grumbled because they didn't understand. So what does Jesus do? How, do, how does he respond to this, this uh, negative reaction? Does he, uh, does he try to explain himself? Does he try to modify his message a little bit, like a, a, some politician on the campaign who senses a rally isn't picking up what he's laying down, and so they change their message a little bit? No. <laughs> Jesus doubles down on the unreasonable. Jesus doubles down on what he's asking them to believe. Uh, he, he's he's going to tell them something even crazier than then you're on a sphere spinning a thousand miles an hour through space. He's going to tell them that he could give them what they wanted most. That thing that we all deep down long for. He said, I can defeat death. I tell you the truth, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate that manna in the desert, yet they died. 
But I am the bread that came down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. See what he's saying? He's saying, guess what? The earth isn't flat, and no matter how much you think it, death is not final. Death is actually wonderfully reversible. Because early one Easter morning, the Son of God came out of his grave, and when he did, he broke death's hold on us. No more does death reign in this world. No. The grave has no victory here anymore. Death has no sting because Jesus did the impossible and made death reversible. You know, Adam and Eve ate in the garden and death came rushing into the world. But today, Jesus invites us to eat again. But this eating brings life. Life now and life that never ends. Life as God intended it. Life that these bodies of ours long for, to live and to live and to live. This is what God has stored up for you. This is what's waiting when God's kingdom come. How could this be? Because the Son of God gave his flesh and blood as a sacrifice for this world. And now God promises you your sins are forgiven, your hope is in heaven, and one day soon, one day soon we will all share in the victory of the resurrection of the dead. One day soon, we will get to see what it's like to live forever. God grant it. Amen.